Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we are continuing our watch through of The Magicians. We'll be looking at Season 1, Episode 2, The Source of Magic. So, Britt, could you tell us what happens in this episode? A lot happened. I'll try to go through this quickly. <laughs> <laughs> the episode begins in the aftermath of the Beast's attack at Breakbills, and we see how Quentin, Alice, Penny, and Katie force the Beast back out of the school. Quentin then tells Elliot about the spell that let the beast in, and Elliot reveals to Quentin that he first discovered magic when he accidentally killed someone as a teenager. Then Quentin wonders if the beast is from Fillory, and shows Alice a documentary on Christopher Plover, the author of the Fillory and Further books, and reveals that the Chatwin kids who went missing were actually real. Meanwhile, Julia follows Pete to meet a group of hedge witches who teach themselves magic outside a formal setting like Breakbills, and who record their magic mastery with star tattoos. Julia and the hedge witch boss, Marina, who pretends to be a newbie, are locked in a meat locker with a corpse until they figure out how to do a warming spell and finally use scissors to unscrew the door. Penny is then going to leave the school because the voice in his head might be the beast, but Katie convinces him to help her steal some magical items from the physical kid's cottage, which we find out she is secretly giving to Marina, who is blackmailing her. Then everyone who did the unauthorized spell gets busted by Professor Sunderland, after Penny pins it all on Quentin to save the others from expulsion, a specialist is sent in to erase Quentin's memory, but it turns out to be Eliza, the paramedic from his Yale interview. She urges Quentin to learn magic faster by any means necessary and to not stay on the garden path. She then visits Dean Fogg, who is receiving medical treatments for his injuries, and they continue their mysterious discussion of the Beast and the Young Magicians. Twists and turns, mm-hmm. they're coming at us. Mm-hmm. That was me dodging them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Arguably the only thing that you say you were ever good at, dodgeball, when it comes to sports. That's <laughs> true, yeah. I was the president of the dodgeball club in high school. Yeah, don't, don't sound so proud about that. <laughs> Okay, well, let's go into our first segment. This magic moment is something I have to say because... Magic moments. There you go, yeah. When uh, we were growing up, my family had a Disney Monopoly set. Instead of Chance and Community Chest, one of the card groups was Magic Moments, and my dad would always sing that refrain every time Mm -hmm. anyone drew one of those cards. So that's what comes to mind when I hear Magic Moments. Yeah, I mean... In the deck building game Dominion, every time you can buy a mine, I literally go, they call it a mine. (laughs) So, yeah. It's a good one, yeah. You can't not. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I I will stop myself from now on, but know, listeners, that every time we talk about magic moments, I'm thinking about that in my head. And now I am, too. (laughs) Well, what are your magic moments from this episode? I really liked how the episode started with Quentin's trauma response Mm. to the attack with the beast and that he's just sitting on the floor not even really able to communicate what happened as he's being questioned by Professor Sutherland and he's not injured but he is psychologically yeah I just I I thought it was really striking how they did that Mm -hmm. yeah and just the red finger mm-hmm. marks on his face yeah, yeah i think it's just very effective at communicating the ways in which he has been touched by this action mm-hmm. in, in profound ways yeah absolutely i also think it's really interesting i mean i think it could be the kind of cliche that the only the, the the main first years, the ones that we know, are the ones that stay behind mm-hmm. to help with the beast. But also, I think in another way, 
it's that they have a feeling of responsibility Mm -hmm. because they're the ones who did a spell and then now this beast came in 12 hours later through this mirror and I think that they have a kind of sacrificial responsibility that you'll see from the characters moving forward even in circumstances maybe they don't have responsibility (laughs) for but yeah the fact that they stayed when everyone else ran you're showing a little Gryffindor here. <laughs> I would have been the Slytherin running, and I would have like gotten to teach her someone who actually knows mm-hmm. magic more. I wouldn't stay in there with that thing. <laughs> but uh, good on them for kicking it out. Mm-hmm. Including, I love, after they work together to kind of get it through the mirror, well, finally what Alice is doing helps most as she's killing the the moths from around this person's face and he eventually goes through by his own choice but then penny smashes the mirror which is like yes because so often characters don't do like the most simple thing to like make sure the person that someone knocked out and had a gun can't get up and use the gun like <laughs> hide the gun take the gun tie the person up why are you just leaving them there so that they can come to and come after you again you know just like things that are very illogical and foolish (laughs) yet I think what we see here with these students even though they're new to this school Quentin is completely new to magic unlike a couple of the others you clearly see that they have a little bit more experience Mm -hmm. but they're all smart Mm -hmm. and they're able to think about things and try different methods to get this beast to leave and then ensure that he can't just come back through Mm -hmm. so yes i appreciated that absolutely i i had that one down too because i also appreciated how penny just used a chair Mm -hmm. uh he didn't use a magic spell or anything like that. He just threw a chair into the mirror. And I think that that highlights his savviness in that he is able to assess a situation and understand what tools to use when. Mm. He's not just, okay, I'm a magician, so I'm always going to use magic, but he's capable in multiple ways. And he's able to effectively use this environment as well. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think you get a little bit of when we go over to Julia Mm -hmm. and what they were supposedly trying to teach her that you can't use magic to solve everything. And if you try to, you'll probably die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if they spent more time trying to seal this thing magically or undo the spell that they did or, you know, whatever it was, then maybe he would have been able to come back through and have a different attack mm-hmm. ready. I, I, I'm just pleased when I see things and they're like, yes, this is the smart thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just like creating extra drama and making people do foolish things so that you can have them come back again two minutes later so that the chase scene lasts longer, whatever the situation is. Yeah. But what about you? What are your magic moments, Chris? Well, one is just Penny and Quentin in the infirmary together. (laughs) And the banter between them and how they dislike each other is... very amusing. Very amusing. Yeah. And honestly, you know, we've talked already about how we grow to like all the characters or almost all the characters. Mm -hmm. But even at this early stage, my first time watching and this time too, I get why both of them are mad at the other. (laughs) (laughs) Both of them, I think, are absolutely valid in their being upset with one another. And (laughs) so they're like aggression towards each other and everything I find, yeah, just more entertaining more than like a Harry Draco relationship where it's like the protagonist overcoming an obstacle. It's more like these two characters who are both butting heads because of their own perspective on their experiences. Because these two characters don't have 
secret feelings for each other? I mean, there's that too, yes, obviously. Uh, No, but in the book, I think it's really amusing that Quentin hates Penny. Mm -hmm. But Penny doesn't feel the same way about Quentin. Yeah. And so here... And the Penny character is very different in the books too. Yeah, absolutely. Incredibly different. But here, Penny starts off really disliking Quentin. And I think that we wouldn't understand that quite as much if we didn't know that Penny is psychic. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of why he just gets so annoyed at Quentin is because he can hear his thoughts and And their roommates. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Like, so he's the person who is most consistently irritating Mm -hmm. Penny. Exactly. And then my other magic moment is just that they made Julia do a literal escape room as her test, which was just... A little more intense than escape rooms usually are. True, but still, her goal was to escape the room. (laughs) She had to, like, look for clues around there. (laughs) Just made you want to do an escape room? It really did, yeah. Uh, But not with really cold temperatures and a corpse? Yeah, probably not that, but puzzles. That would be fun. Let's replace the corpse with a puzzle Mm -hmm. and the temperature with more puzzles. Exactly. Yes, precisely. (laughs) (laughs) But let's head into our next segment on setting and society. Looking at the setting of the show and their society and maybe even our own society. Yeah. So one thing that I think is really cool, which is more the setting is just the color tones and how it's more cool, but not just cool, but like almost gray-ish mm-hmm. tones when they're in the real world, including with hedge witches in the real world. Yeah. And then versus at Break Bells is it's well lit, there's vivid colors, and just showing that We saw it a little bit in the first episode, but them continuing that on, I think is, yeah, really, a really cool way to show the disparities Mm -hmm. between the Hedgewitch community and the fact that they don't have access to the expensive education and equipment and classrooms and professors and this beautiful campus and they are in the harsh world of New York Mm -hmm. and everything that comes along with that and so yeah I think it's just a it's a it's a cool way to help differentiate and make it a reality that it's like they're almost in different worlds Mm mm-hmm yeah, and then the transitions between those two worlds become even more stark mm-hmm. because you go from that color to that more gray tone. Mm-hmm. Also, something that I like is when Pete says to Julia, you ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And she says, yeah, I do. In In defiance of him, we see her from the beginning with her entrance exam trying to ask a question and then arguing with the professor who explained that she's going to be basically obliviated and her saying like do you want people who actually make inquiry or just follow along like sheep Mm -hmm. and I think that is a very central part of Julia's character And and I think that we could extrapolate this to the world <laughs> in general that women asking a lot of questions questioning people who are supposed to be their superiors women pushing for change in systems that were set up by cis men you know i think that she's struggling against that to some degree too because the people who keep not allowing her to ask questions are men mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, girls are are so socialized into not taking up space and to to, to being demure that studies have consistently shown that boys already in elementary school are much more likely to raise their hands in a classroom than girls Mm -hmm. are. And yeah, to ask questions or to volunteer their ideas. That is a cultural and social phenomenon. It's not natural. So 
for that to be an element of Julia's character that she's not like that, that she is someone who is going to take up space and who's going to ask questions and is going to try to understand things, I think is uh, a really strong component of her character for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing, if we're thinking about our society, an element that is often in entertainment and stories, movies, shows, books, is that boys have conflict over a girl. Mm. But I like that Quentin and Penny's conflict has nothing to do with any of the women surrounding them. Totally. It has to do with their personalities and ways in which they just don't get along. Yeah. So it's not this, like, I don't know, girl, just toxic masculinity. Not that they don't have toxic masculinity, but, like, it's not, oh, let's fight over you, you know, sort of annoying tropey yeah which also objectifies a woman as Mm -hmm. something to be one yeah yeah and legitimizes it in real life society Mm -hmm. that it's okay to act this way because it just means that you really like her or whatever it is yeah yeah it's a good point what about you what are you noticing about the setting in society yeah i noticed a few things too for one the fact that katie knows battle magic that she's not supposed to know, I think is really interesting because her life more than anyone's at this point is the most mysterious. Yeah. And that adds quite a bit of mystery to it as well, where she has reason to understand how to use magic aggressively Mm -hmm. and for force. And at the same time, she uses it here in a way that is really necessary. Yeah. And that's different from when Quentin uses it later on mm-hmm. when he's using it spitefully. She used it as a way of defending herself and the others. So, yeah, it just, I think it, it again, opens up more questions into her background, but it also, in contrast with Quentin, helps to illustrate how perceptions of people who grow up in more dangerous situations being more violent are completely inaccurate. Mm. Um, that circumstances are typically what cause violence. And she was using her violent magic then because of the circumstances. Quentin later uses violence interpersonally, and he's someone who comes from a elite background. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just I think it's a, an interesting contrast there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. As well as showing us more about the world, that types of magic are themselves controlled and policed. There are unauthorized magic. Exactly. Now we know (laughs) an example of unauthorized magic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. We also, interestingly, get a professor starting to explain how there are other worlds than this one. Other worlds exist, and that this creature's probably from one, and... Quentin uses that to think that, well, maybe Fillory is one of those other worlds. This is introduced much earlier than it is in the book, and it's understood in their society in a way that it's not in the book, mm-hmm. which I think is is interesting because once you know that other worlds are out there and that they can be visited, that does just change your cosmology in such profound ways that it made me curious as to how that might impact the staff at break bills and other institutions and other magicians to have access to that knowledge, but be limited in their access to, to move between worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, do they have any exchange programs? Is that something they could even set up? Yeah. Or would it be too dangerous to, because you might open a portal for someone else to come through mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah, that'd be fascinating. Totally. Yeah. Another interesting element that came up in this episode was how after the attack by the beast they are granted one day off to mm-hmm. recover and recuperate and but then, then they'll have a quiz they'll have a quiz <laughs> when they come back on wednesday i think that that is an interesting parallel to the education system in our society oftentimes children are expected to attend school even after a traumatizing event mm-hmm. uh, i've certainly had students who after shootings on other campuses have talked about their anxiety and fear going coming back to school. Mm-hmm. Or just this last week, there was a shooting just off campus at one of the schools that I work at. And I've gotten university emails about it 
but nothing about time off, nothing about, you know, there, there's crisis counselors being offered, but there aren't any kind of a formal policies. And like many things in education, some of the responsibility of addressing these things falls to the teacher mm-hmm. as the person who's directly engaging with the students. I certainly know that whether because of tragedies on campus, students who have passed or, or other kinds of things that have come up, a gun scare that happened on one of my campuses, typically as a professor, I'll get an email saying, these are the resources for your students. Consider being more flexible with your due dates or addressing this in class or whatever else it might be. And while that can be helpful in helping me to kind of think about and be intentional about how I interact with my students after those kinds of events, it's also frustrating when that's the only response we're getting from administration, Mm -hmm. particularly at institutions where counseling and mental health services are massively underfunded, Mm -hmm. generally and where issues of policing on campuses are really fraught and, you know, all these other kinds of issues. So I am the one who has to not only be in direct communication with my students, but also, yeah, try to take into account the ways that their experiences are going to be impacted by these kinds of events. And at break bills, we see how Professor Sunderland at least says, you've got a day off and that's it. Um, and, And they're kind of moving full steam ahead after. It's tricky. Because, on the one hand, nobody can just get over an experience like that quickly, mm-hmm. uh, or ever, potentially. On the other hand, they're not going to completely change and make school go a month longer so that students can take three weeks off and seek mental health services, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's the primary mission of the school is to educate and not to support students undergoing emotional or negative mental health circumstances you know Mm -hmm. and so it like it just it gets difficult how do you make the call when to do this and when is it compromising their education when is it not being supportive of the students in ways that you should be, you know, when is it adding to their stress and anxiety? You know, it just, it, yeah, it gets very complicated. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot to put on teachers. I know that teachers can sometimes make their own decisions on certain matters. And sometimes they make really frustrating ones. Like when my mother was at UCLA As an undergrad there, and her brother died, she was 19, Mm. and she asked her teacher if she could turn in the final a week late or something, and he was just like, no. I'm just like, how can you do this? It's awful. It's so bad. Maybe he was racist. I don't know what was going on. Maybe he was just a jerk. But how how people can make those decisions rather than there being some sort of policy mm-hmm. <laughs> for bereavement or something, I don't know. Uh, but then on the flip side, yeah, asking teachers to try to help in circumstances that they're not trained to help in yeah. uh, to support their students' mental health and also maybe make accommodations that make them have more work or have to completely rearrange things is a lot to ask of the teachers too but it also shows that universities are asking teachers to help students but aren't providing any help for the teachers themselves yeah as if these events happen only to the students and don't cause anxiety or stress for the teachers, which is just not true. They have double the stress because they have the stress of something terrible happening to them and their students, and then they also have the stress of trying to help their students if Mm. they care about them, you know, and so, yes, it's a problem. (laughs) There is a problem. Yeah. One of the schools I I teach at is a private elite liberal arts school. 
and I will say there they handle these things much better in mm. really having a student and faculty kind of first mentality, at least from my experience, my limited experience there. But that also comes with the much higher budget and tuition and everything that they that comes with those schools compared to the public schools that are massively underfunded and mm-hmm. undersupported because of, you know, tax policies and neoliberalism and all the other evils of capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. But I do have one more uplifting element of setting in society. Oh, nice. And that is just the physical kids cottage. <laughs> yes. Is such a great set. <laughs> it's so good. It really highlights that kind of colorful aspect that you mentioned, <laughs> but it also just is this great big open set that communicates this vibrant college life atmosphere while also leaving room for kind of everyday magic mm-hmm. to exist either in the background or to, to be going on just by the students. I just, I think it's a really great set and an inspired design to have some of their interpersonal communications. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, another one that I just remembered about too that, that could fit into the setting in society is the fact that Elliot says Avada Kedavra, mm. <laughs> that he's using a Harry Potter spell as a joke in this social reality where they have the things that we have. They have fantasy. When Alice is talking about, oh, I didn't want to read fantasy books when I was a kid. Like, they have these things, but they also know magic is real. So I just think it's like a fun kind of place to be. That That's definitely in the book. That Lev Grossman, in different points of views of the characters, like has them think about the stories. Like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, you know, they, they come up every once in a while, which is uh, fun. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it totally makes sense. It makes them more relatable it, and it shows that they are part of our culture mm-hmm. and our society in that way, because you can't be a millennial in our society <laughs> without <laughs> at least knowing what Harry Potter is and mm-hmm. what Lord of the Rings is and more likely having some further knowledge of it uh, and ability to kind of understand those those quotes and memes and stuff. So, yeah, I, I think that that's one of the really charming elements of both the books and the show is that they make these characters, characters that you can see yourself joking around with, making references with, or that it seems very natural. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But why don't we move into our next section, themes and schemes. What themes and plot points we see happening in this episode. Yeah, well, obviously, we must talk about the idea that magic doesn't come from talent, it comes from pain. Mm -hmm. At least from any of the fantasy I've seen or read, I haven't really come across an idea like that, which I think is very unique and really interesting especially as someone who comes from a very uh, dysfunctional background (laughs) myself. And so I'm very drawn to that idea. And I think knowing that, then you know that these characters, as you find out more about them, you'll find out more about where their pain comes from. Yeah. Yet it's not, I guess, only a sad message Um, I mean, I guess there's something nice. It it would be lovely if magic came from my pain. (laughs) (laughs) Would love that. But it's kind of a nice thing in in the magician's world that at least people get a can maybe get a little (laughs) something for their suffering. But I think it has a nice message that when Quentin says, if you're trying to tell me that it gets better, then... You know, like, that's not really what he's there to hear right now in the aftermath of a professor being dead because of a spell you did. And maybe you're not sure if Dean Fogg will survive or is alive or whatnot. If not, at the very least, he's very injured and all of that. But Elliot says that's absolutely not what he's telling him, that it'll get better 
he says, no, it doesn't. I'm trying to tell you that you are not alone here. Yeah. Which, yeah, I really love and I think is really meaningful that in this conversation, they're talking about something that's really, your multiple somethings that are really serious and painful and even the idea of where magic comes from is painful Mm -hmm. yet all of them have come from something that has caused them a lot of pain so hopefully the hope is that they can be there for each other in in a community yeah and and i also appreciate that by highlighting that magic comes from pain he's also making clear that magic doesn't end that pain, which kind of connects to what we were talking about last week, where just now being in a magical world does not mean that everything's going to be better. Yeah. And that these characters are still going to feel pain and still going to suffer. But I love that message that you just mentioned, that that at least they'll be there together Mm -hmm. to do so. Yeah. Yeah, because I think oftentimes when we are really suffering, we can feel very alone in it. Mm-hmm. And that increases the suffering. Yeah. Another theme that I really enjoy is when Eliza asks Quentin if he believes he has a destiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, he does. And she says, yeah, I used to believe that crap too. <laughs> And that there is no destiny, no born heroes. I can't tell you why, why the beast came sniffing for you. There's no reason it should be you. You can either step up to it or not. It's up to you. We'll just hope for the best. And yeah, I really like that because she's very clearly saying, you are not special. Mm -hmm. You just have choices. You can choose how to act and how to react that's it. You stuff up or you don't. There is no destiny. And I think sometimes with ah, chosen ones sort of stories, it projects that idea of a destiny rather than muddling through with random people making random choices mm-hmm. and affecting everything in turn. And it just being actions and reactions and reactions to the reactions and yeah it's it's bringing that agency idea in exactly that you're not predestined to do this you can choose how you want to react and you won't know what those choices will lead to mm-hmm. there is no clear destination and so you not only have to choose now but you have to keep choosing mm-hmm. and yeah i i love that idea and I think that that this is a really central scene because of it mm-hmm. because Quentin is coming in as a character who believes in destiny who loves children's stories and who I think we are already seeing he sees himself as a protagonist in a story and stories have a beginning middle and end especially traditional stories mm-hmm. they have specific kinds of structures and here the show is already saying and quentin's been confronted with the idea that things are not going to follow a traditional path that you are not exceptional you're not special you're not destined to do something but that you are going to have to make a lot of choices and there's never an end to that mm-hmm. which i i really appreciate that uh, especially because his depression is such an important theme and important element of his character. And for someone who, yeah, maybe has suicidal ideation or who suffers from really acute depression, choosing to live each day is its own choice. Mm -hmm. And that's something that can be harder some days than others. But each day you have to make whatever choices you can. And sometimes you'll make bad choices, but it highlights how that struggle and the struggles that we'll see in this magic story are going to be ones that are constantly about that agency. Yeah. Yeah. But what about you? What do you have for themes and schemes? 
who I obviously also enjoyed the Destiny line. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my other one was how this episode, I think we see each character, each of our main cast, struggling in some way with trying to belong. And for most of them, that is explicit. Quentin does not want to be expelled. Yeah. Alice doesn't want to be expelled because this is the only connection she has to her brother. Julia has this escape room challenge in order to find a new way of engaging with herself and learning from other people Mm -hmm. who have had similar experiences. We don't understand much about Katie's situation, but we see that she's clearly desperate. Mm -hmm. And... Penny, I think, is the most interesting in that his struggle to belong doesn't have much to do with break bills, but instead it's about this voice that he is realizing betrayed him, mm-hmm. but who was his only friend. And oh, how. Penny. Exactly. <laughs> and how. It'd be so disturbing. Mm-hmm. This voice that was a comfort to you, that helped you, helped you learn some magic, was there for you. In a world that probably wasn't, was telling him that he's... Mentally ill. Yeah, because he thinks he can hear voices and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, he can do magic. But instead is validating that and teaching him things. and, And yeah, for him to be struggling with that, I think is really interesting because his powers can be so isolating. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be fairly normal for him. He's gotten used to it in some ways, even though it's probably very frustrating. But in losing this one friend, in being betrayed in this way, you know, that becomes his bigger issue after the spell, more than getting expelled, more than anything else. And it's why he then responds in trying to further isolate himself Mm -hmm. to leave. Yeah, he doesn't want to belong if belonging means being connected to this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting kind of theme of the episode. And it also highlights how exactly each of these characters has pain. Mm. How they're all connected to the source of magic because they are all desperate in a way to either find that connection or, in Penny's case, to now disconnect because of the hurt they've, they've experienced in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't we do our last section from another point of view, where we highlight specific characters in this episode. So what character do you want to talk about? I actually wanted to talk about Margot, mm. because I think thus far we've gotten least of her. Yeah. And certainly at the beginning of the show, even for a while into the show, I didn't really like Margot. Then, as they developed her character, I I grew to like her, definitely. And so now watching it and thinking about her point of view, it, it was just an interesting process because when she is talking to Alice in her room, you know, it, it seems like she wants the gossip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and therefore, Alice assumes that Margot isn't really actually trying to be supportive or actually get to know her. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that's true. I think that Margot is trying to reach out in ways that she's used to Mm -hmm. or ways that she's good at or feels comfortable with. And they just don't work for Alice. But I can imagine that it would be really kind of hurtful when you're trying to look out for a first-year student, help them after this traumatic event, and they think the worst of you. That would just be really difficult. Yeah. Uh, I think the fact that in the last episode, Alice didn't like Margot making assumptions about her when she didn't really know her but then she's doing kind of the same thing to Margot. she doesn't know Margot, but she's assuming what her intentions are when she says that she's curious and she wants to be her friend Alice says I don't think that you are and Mm -hmm. leaves and 
yeah, I just, I think it would just feel really crappy <laughs> to be trying to reach out to this new student and have it kind of thrown back in your face. Yeah, absolutely. Before I say this, I should probably put out there that I do actually know Summer Bichil a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Not well plays enough Margo. to get her onto the podcast. But... No, but <laughs> so I, I used to act and she and I shared an acting coach. So we were in acting classes for about a year together. We weren't friends, really. We weren't close, but like we acted alongside each other in that weird kind of, you know, <laughs> middle school acting class way. So yeah, it's it's interesting seeing her in the show with that background. But I will say that this episode, especially in comparison to last episode, I am really impressed with her acting. Because as I was watching, I felt like I was seeing what Alice was seeing of someone who is reaching out, but who you don't entirely trust their intentions, mm-hmm. who there is something off that you couldn't even put your finger on because it's so subtle. Mm-hmm. but that it's there. And I think that you're right, that that it is Margot doing something that she's uncomfortable with and trying to be there for Alice, trying to build a relationship with Alice in a way that is very different from her usual personality. Because when we were introduced to Margot last episode, I noticed how she had her hands up the whole time mm-hmm. in this really interesting pose that is just so performative. Yeah. Uh, like the character is being performative as kind of elitist and all mm-hmm. these other kinds of elements. And I think that her and Elliot both have a bit of that in their charm and in mm-hmm. their personalities, but we don't see that her using that with Alice here. Yeah. And for me, yeah, I see that as her being more genuine here than she might otherwise be. But it somehow comes off as insincere. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, that's so complicated, and there's so many levels to that, that for the actor to kind of portray that in really interesting ways, already two episodes into a show, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't the fifth season where she's been playing this character for years, like, this is still fairly new into the run. Yeah, I just, uh, I I think that it was a really good performance, and, and one I probably wouldn't have noticed the first time, because I also wasn't coming in with the knowledge of... Who Margot yeah. is and, and who she becomes through the show. So, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Totally. What about you? Who's your from another point of view? Well, I should talk about Margot's bestie, Elliot. Our uh, bestie, too. Yeah, another character who... Uh, <laughs> I mean, he didn't, he didn't have to grow on us. He uh, <laughs> yeah. He's just delightful from the beginning, but he then does grow on us even yeah. more from that because he's just so great. But I was just really thinking about what it must be like for Elliot here as he's trying to give advice to Quentin after this horrible event happens. Mm-hmm. And how I think there is a bit of Elliot that is minimizing these events to himself even, because it's sometimes easier to just try to be aloof, to be uncaring, to not see things as scary or significant or frightening And so the way he talks about the third year class and the way that he talks about this event here, I think highlight that he's not just trying to tell Quentin everything's going to be okay, but I think he's also doing a little bit of his own kind of compartmentalization and emotional distancing from what happened. Oh, absolutely. Which I love seeing because... I I think not not in the way that Elliot does it, but I I do that myself. Make troubling things or vulnerable things lighter through mm-hmm. the way you communicate it, or how kind of blasé you are about really sad things that have happened to you, mm-hmm. and it's just it's easier to talk about them that way. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time, Elliot showing some vulnerability with Quentin, I think, is really powerful. It shows that for Elliot, Quentin is special. Mm-hmm. Because for Quentin, he still is saying, you know, we don't know each other that well. We haven't known each other very long. And I think for Quentin, Elliot is just one element of this new world that he's entering. I think he likes Elliot, 
but I don't necessarily think that Elliot's friendship is something that he would count on or would prioritize in ways that are really profound. And I think Elliot is doing that. You know, he, he says, I bond easily, <laughs> which is a great <laughs> Time line. is an illusion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Elliot. But yeah, his, his showing his vulnerability, showing something that he, he clearly has a lot of guilt around and how it's completely changed his ideology on magic or, or not changed, but shaped his ideology on magic, that magic comes from pain because his magic came from being bullied and is always connected to the first time he used it. Mm-hmm. to kill someone accidentally. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I'm not sure I completely agree because as far as we see, Quentin seems closest to Elliot of anybody there mm-hmm. because he talked to him about it and not anyone else. And I think he's become friends with Margot because Elliot introduced him to Margot. So she she was the package deal to get Elliot, you know? And... I think Quentin started the vulnerability, basically revealing that he's been suicidal. Mm -hmm. And that's when Elliot knew, okay, I have to share something real here. Like, I I can't just brush this off. I can't just say, oh, I'll give you this spell. You know, like, I have to do more in response to this. If Quentin hadn't said before he came to break bills, he would feel like things were pointless, and if everything was pointless, then what's the point of going on? I don't. I don't think Elliot would have shared, but it's because that's that's where Quentin was at and what he was talking about that Elliot dug deeper than he normally would. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think that Elliot here is seeing the pain that Quentin's in seeing the fear he has. And also, I can imagine that Elliot is trying to be, for Quentin, what he wished he had when Absolutely, he yeah. first found his magic and was responsible for killing someone. You know, that he is trying to step up in ways that themselves are, yeah, a little uncomfortable for him. But to do that for Quentin. But I guess when I mean that Quentin isn't as invested as Elliot is into Quentin, I mean, like, I don't know if Quentin would have gone directly to Elliot after what happened if Elliot and Margot hadn't come in and scooped them up right when they left the building Mm -hmm. after the attack. I don't know that Quentin would have become friends with Elliot if Elliot hadn't come and hung out with him and introduced him to Margot. Like, I I see Elliot doing a lot of that work, and I think that that's probably in part because Quentin hasn't had many friendships generally. We see him at that party unable to connect with most people other than Julia. So I can imagine that, yeah, as he's still getting to know people, but he's also just getting to know his new environment, that that environment would take precedent for him over anything else. Mm-hmm. And Elliot's in a different place. So I see him reaching out to Quentin in ways that are also really helpful for Quentin because it's helping him find community. Mm-hmm. When I transferred from community college to my four-year college, I was really hoping to find the same kind of community that I had in in community college, and I never did. But my roommates in particular, I never built a connection with. I never felt like there was a a actual friendship there. And I imagine that things may have been different. Maybe that was part of the reasons I felt isolated, because Quentin's roommate is Penny. And (laughs) that's not someone who's going to make him feel in community. (laughs) So, yeah, I just... uh, I guess I was looking at both their perspectives, in particular because I find Elliot's choices to be vulnerable and to be there for Quentin in the ways that he can, while also providing advice that is realistic and is not just utterly hopeful and that things are going to get better. Just a a really great example of how Quentin is lucky to have Elliot as a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. And I wonder if, for Elliot, he remembers how last year, for him, that's when the, it would have been second years, 
most of them disappeared, right? And mm-hmm. so maybe he had made a friendship or multiple friendships or something with some of these mm. second-year students, and then they were just gone. So now this tragedy has struck these new students. How can I help you ease the scary reality of what this school is, that it's not just a safe place and... Even people that you like and care about could be gone if they do some experimental magic or they do this and and they die. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, then now that we've had this long discussion about the episode, let's revisit the title, The Source of Magic. How well titled do you think this episode is? I actually kind of like this as the title. I love it. Yeah, because that is part of the big takeaways from the episode. Magic is coming from pain. Yeah. It's unique to the series, and it's an element that, yeah, we'll we'll see more of Mm -hmm. as we continue on. Yeah. I also like how structurally it highlights how the important things in this series are not just the plot beats, but Mm -hmm. that the conversations between characters, the downtime relationship building conversations are just as important mm. as them summoning an evil character. As the beast. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that what they're experiencing and the wisdom they can provide for one another and the support they can provide for one another is also a core element of this narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a, a really great second episode title. Way better than the first one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well then, what are we discussing next week? So we will be discussing episode three, Consequences of Advanced Spellcasting, where we find out about the mating rituals of books. Exciting. Titillating, even. (laughs) Oh, gross. (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. We hope that you'll join us on Patreon so that you can get access to all the extra fun content that we're making for the series. We are soon closing our poll for what patrons want for their perks as we go through the magicians. So get on there and vote if you haven't. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out. out.